Hello, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Daily Feasting on the Words of Christ. Alma here along with Mushi the cat. I don't know if you can hear her purring. You might be able to hear that. (laughs) She's right now sitting on my lap being super cuddly and I am loving it. I, I love Mushi. She's so cute. Even though when she purrs, she drools. That's gross, but her head is not on me, so she's not drooling on me, so I'm okay. (laughs) I'm okay with her purring away. But anyway, today, you know, I'm kind of excited to talk about my chapters in both the Book of Mormon and the Bible today. Hopefully I won't get carried away in the Book of Mormon because I do really want to get to my Bible chapter and talk to you about um, what I've learned there because... I had a very special spiritual experience on my mission when reading Mark chapter 1. And so I want to be able to share that with you today. So, But I also don't want to like skip over the book of Enos, which is what I read in the book of Mormon, because there's some great stuff in the book of Enos. So you're probably very familiar with Enos and like his prayer and how he... <clears throat> you know, prays to have a remission of his sins, and he prays for the Nephites, and for the Lamanites, and for a record to be kept, and how it was a wrestle before God during, like, with his prayer. And I thought about the word wrestle, um, and in looking at the wording in the verse where he talks about that, He says, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God. And to me, what that sounds like is he was having a a wrestling match with something while trying to talk with God. Like, I don't think God was a part of his wrestle. I think there was something going on that he was wrestling with while trying to pray to God, while trying to talk to God. And And it almost as if, you know, God was standing right in front of Enos And there was someone right there trying to push him away. And he was fighting against that person to stay in front of God. In order to receive a remission of his sins. And I was thinking about it because, you know, for Enos to be able to wrestle and to be so intense with his prayers that he could pray for so long. My guess is those prayers had to be very focused, very detailed, and very vulnerable in the sense of he's just literally laying his whole imperfect self before the Lord, you know, and he is aware of all of his imperfections. So he's aware, focused, it's an, it sounds intense. And, you know, and thinking about my prayers, <laughs> um, like I, so when I have tried praying, you know, on my knees, hands are folded, I have my eyes closed, what ends up happening is I end up falling asleep. No joke. It doesn't matter if it's morning or evening, I end up falling asleep. I've tried saying them out loud. The funny thing is, 
is that I'll get so tired that I'll fall asleep even while talking out loud in the morning or in the evening. I don't know what it is. It might just be the eyes closed thing, but if I have my eyes open, I'm still distracted. And so I, a while ago, started a a practice where I wrote down my prayers uh, like I was writing a letter to God. And it does help a little bit, but I've been noticing that I'll get distracted and I'll stop writing without even realizing it. Like my mind will just wander and I didn't even know it wandered until I come back and I'm like, oh, I haven't been writing for the past minute or so or sometimes even longer. And some days are harder than others. You know, there's some days where like I get one line in and then for five minutes I'm somewhere else and I didn't even know I was somewhere else I just all of a sudden got distracted and boom, my mind went somewhere I don't know like I don't even remember where it would go but it would just blip, there it went Whoosh. and but there have been some times where I've been really focused and the times where I've been focused oh those are beautiful prayers because what I like to do um is I like to write my letter to God, and then I like to write his responses to me. You know, so I try to pay attention to the feelings and the thoughts that come, and I write them down. And over time, I think I've gotten a little bit better at trying to discern when the Spirit is talking to me. It's still a struggle at times, but I've gotten a lot better. And some of the responses I've gotten from God are beautiful. They're amazing. It's been such a cool experience to do this where now I have a record of what I talk to God about and what God talks to me about. And oh my goodness, is God so encouraging. He's like my best cheerleader right now. He is always constantly telling me, you've got this, Alma. I'm right here for you. Trust me, you've got this. You know? And it's just, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful when I'm able to actually focus and and write out my prayer. But that's the thing, is like not getting distracted. So that, to me, is a wrestle in of itself. Is trying to stay focused, you know, during my prayer and not let other things take me away from the my goal, you know, the object of what I'm trying to accomplish. And um and so maybe that's something Enos was wrestling about was you know trying to stay focused, not letting things distract him. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't distracted. It sounds pretty intense, so the other idea I had about what it could mean to be a wrestle before God is that, you know, when he first starts praying, he starts praying for remission of his sins, right? And, you know, that if I know Satan... (laughs) which I have been learning about him for the past year now, year or so, about 
how he thinks, how he works, when he likes to attack, how he likes to attack, and how to stop him. Um, what's down there? Sorry, just trying to pack my bag at the same time. I never like being late for work. I can only imagine that Satan would want to stop Enos from, you know, saying this prayer. And Satan knows that in order for this prayer to work, Enos has got to have faith that God will grant it. So what is he going to do? He's going to try and wreck Enos's faith, hope, and charity. He wants to wreck his faith in Christ, wreck his hope, and wreck the love that he has for himself and for others. Because like, so when you talk to other people about repentance and getting a remission of their sins, for those who struggle with faith in that arena... They talk about how, how could God ever forgive me? I've done so much that is wrong. God could never love me. You know? Like, if you start thinking about everything that you've done wrong, don't you start to feel... Um, well, there's two things. You could either start to feel guilt or shame. And if you don't know what the difference is, the difference can be said like this. Guilt is when you say, I've done something wrong. Shame is when you say, I am wrong or I am bad, you know? So guilt is, I've done something bad. Shame is, I am bad. And um, so I can only imagine as Enos is trying to pour out his heart to God, confessing before God his sins and everything he's done wrong and trying to forgive himself and to forgive other people. I can only imagine Satan trying to come in and distract him or to bring up thoughts of like, well, you can't forgive them because, you know, they did this. How, if you gave them forgiveness and you're letting them slide or, you know, how could you possibly forgive them for something so awful and horrible? And how could you ever forgive yourself? Or how could God ever forgive you for doing that? That was so mean. I mean, look what happened to that person once you did that. Or, you know, look at, you know, God can never forgive you because you've done so much that is wrong. And you are, you know, you're not faithful enough to receive a remission of your sins. You're not good enough. God doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want to hear this, right? That's probably what Satan's trying to say to Enos, and maybe a myriad of other things that I'm not aware of, you know? And he's just doing his darndest. Like, he's doing his absolute best to distract Enos and to make him lose faith in Christ, lose hope that he'll ever receive forgiveness, and lose charity in himself and in others. And so that he doesn't receive a remission of his sins. Because Satan wants everyone to be miserable like he is. And the only way to be miserable is if you don't receive forgiveness, right? If you live in your sins without repentance, that's pretty miserable. 
but we receive freedom when we go to God and we give him all of our sins. And I think that's what the wrestle was, is that Enos was wrestling with doubt, discouragement, and Satan. That all those negative thoughts, all those thoughts that he's had about anyone and everyone he's ever had in his entire life, anything wrong that he's ever done, and all that feeling of guilt or shame or whatever it was for him just comes to the forefront, and he has to wrestle with it all. He has to wrestle with the darkness, and he has to come out on top, you know, and he keeps wrestling. This is a 24-hour experience from what it sounds like in the scriptures, that he keeps wrestling for hours before God comes and says, you know, your sins are forgiven you. And when God comes and sends his spirit, his light, the thing about God's light is that no darkness can live in it. So once God comes and sends his light, his spirit to Enos, Satan has to go away. And so now Enos asks God to forgive the Nephites. And God says, well, it depends on the choices they make. You know, if they make good choices, then yes, I will save them. And now Enos's faith is unshaken in God is what he wrote down, right? He had this experience where he wrestled with God for remission of his own sins And now that God is there and he's cast Satan out from Enos' presence for that moment. And God is answering him and acknowledging him and is also not going against his own word. Like he's, God is all powerful, all knowing and super dependable. And Enos is recognizing he's feeling through the Holy Ghost, the truth of God's words and recognizing his mercy but also his justice and how fair God is and so now Enos's trust in the Lord is unshaken he trusts him completely whereas he probably didn't before you know he had faith but he also had doubts that's what he was wrestling with in the beginning But now that he's in this moment, he's in prayer, he's talking with God, he has complete trust. And so he asks for something that he probably would have never asked before because the doubt would just be too much. He asks that God preserve a record of the Nephites in hopes that the Lamanites will read it someday and turn to Christ. Because Enos has been noticing the Nephites' attempt to um, preach to the Lamanites, and it's not working. Right now, it seems like a completely impossible task. All they want to do is kill the Nephites. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear, and it's it's pretty tough. It's a pretty tough crowd. And so at that time, people were probably thinking it was impossible to convert the Lamanites. Absolutely impossible. No one wanted to listen. They all just wanted to kill you. And so if it wasn't for Enos's unshaken faith at that moment, I don't think he would have asked God for that because there wouldn't have been enough faith. 
but because he's been through this process of asking God these things and now he trusts God completely, he can ask for this thing with complete trust knowing he'll get an answer and that God will, you know, grant him what he desires. And God does. God grants what Enos desires. And I think that's so cool. You know, that's such, that's so amazing. Especially Enos's example of continuing to wrestle, um, you know, continuing to wrestle the darkness and never giving up because he could have given up after an hour. I don't know how he was praying if he was on his knees. I'm sure many of you, many people would have been like, my legs are going numb. I'm going to have to stop, you know, at least five minutes on my knees. I'm like that. I don't know about you. I don't know how you pray. I don't know how Jesus is pray, but to be praying for possibly 24 hours like, how many of us would have given up after one? If we even got that far, you know? Have you ever prayed for an hour? I don't know that I have ever prayed for an hour. Maybe the longest I've ever gone is like 30 minutes. I don't know that I've ever prayed for an hour, you know? And to think that Enos could do that for maybe 24 hours to continue to wrestle, to continue to try and talk to God. Wow. Just... Wow, that, that that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like, I am astounded <laughs> that he was able to do that because that would be really hard. That would be really, 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 really hard. And, you know, but, you know, it's interesting. President Nelson was talking about this past general conference, how we need to do things we've never done before. Because there's some tough times coming up ahead. Now, I'm not suggesting praying for 24 hours, but maybe we, maybe it's a good idea to consider how to revamp prayer. You know, to consider how to make it more focused how to make it more detailed, more vulnerable, um, more heartfelt, more open. You know, how how can you pray with a similar intensity to Enos? And it doesn't have to be in time, you know? And also in efforts and in, like increasing your efforts in trying to hear what God says. You know, maybe you can do something like I do where you write out your prayer Writing's not easy. You know? It takes time. It's a lot easier to talk than it is to write, at least for me personally, because talking can happen a lot faster than I can write. But, you know, maybe maybe that's kind of the kind of effort that will help you increase your spiritual foundation. Especially in writing out the answers you feel like you receive. And then practicing. You know, practicing listening to the spirit and 
writing it out and deciphering and discerning what God is trying to tell you in your life. I don't know, something to consider. You know, since there are going to be tough times ahead. And, you know, I, at least for me, I want to prepare myself for those times as best as I can. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm prepared enough that I stay on God's side, you know, because that's the best side. That's the side that's going to win because that's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God is going to win. And as far as I know, God is all powerful, all knowing and super dependable. So I'm pretty sure he's going to (laughs) win. So yeah, I'll leave that there. I'll leave that question for you to ponder on how you can, um, if, if you need to, or if you want to revamp your prayers, maybe you already have a fantastic system for keeping yourself focused during prayers and in listening and, uh, to what the spirit tells you. If you do, you're awesome. You're amazing. I'm still working on it. (laughs) But if you don't, Hey, maybe try something new. Maybe try writing it out. Maybe ask other people how they do it you know, and get some ideas. But I'm going to move on to Mark chapter one. And did I say yesterday that I love Mark? If I didn't, just going to let you know, I love Mark. Mark is fun to read. It's a fast read because Mark just goes through events. Like you get his baptism, his 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and his temptation with Christ his calling the apostles, his healing the sick, his talking in the synagogue, all in the first chapter. It's like maybe 30 verses. No, 40, 45, right? It's just, boom, Mark goes fast. He is quick writer. He wants to get all the important stuff in. And there's very few things that he gives a lot of detail to. Like even with his baptism, there's not much conversation between John and Jesus. Like I even think Mark doesn't record any conversation. He just records a little bit of what John says to everybody else. And then when Jesus comes, he's like, and then Jesus came and was baptized of John. And then Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Like that's how fast Mark is. And I love it. I love it. It keeps my attention going. Like I am able to stay focused in Mark because it's just, changing all the time and so my brain is able to stay awake and not get lost like it sometimes does when reading the scriptures and so yeah I love Mark Mark is amazing and he he heals a lot of people in this chapter like we we start getting to him healing a bunch of people um, like within this chapter from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to talk to you about this special um, spiritual experience that I had on my mission when reading in Mark. I think it was like when Come Follow Me for the New Testament came out in 2019. 
yes, it was in 2019. And let's see. Yeah, here we go. This is it. I have a long... So on my mission, I used a tablet for my scripture study, and I took a ton of notes while doing my scripture study. And I have a, a particularly long note on this one. It says that it was done on Friday, February the 1st, 2019. Oh, it even has a date. I think that's awesome. Um, and so I'll, so the story here in Mark that, uh, I'm referring to is starting in chapter 40 where there's a leper, um, and which if you don't know what a leper is, it's a person who has a very, um, very bad disease. It's very gross. It's very fatal. Because basically what's happening is your body is decomposing while you're still alive. Like your skin starts falling off, limbs start falling off. Like things just start falling off. Like literally you are decomposing alive. It's really bad. And in the Jewish community, if you were caught with leprosy, you were sent to the outside of the city. You had to have this bell. And you had to sit in this tent away from people. And if people started to come near you, you had to ring a bell and shout unclean. Because you had to let people know that you have this disease so that they don't catch it. Now, I don't know about you, but to the psyche, can you imagine what that would do to you? How you would feel about yourself, your self-worth? If every day you had to ring a bell and yell unclean, not only does everyone else feel gross around you, you feel gross around yourself and you can't escape yourself and you are literally dying before your eyes. I just, that would be tough. That would be really tough. And so in verse 40, this leper does something that he is not supposed to do. Because the leper came to Jesus, beseeching and kneeling. Okay, so the leper is not supposed to go towards people, right? Because he's unclean. He's got to ring a bell and shout unclean and stay away from people in his little tent. But he goes to Jesus, which he's not supposed to do. And then he says something he's other than unclean. Like instead of ringing a bell and shouting unclean, he says, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Not a word of unclean in there. Right? The, this leper's faith is incredible. Because he recognizes that this, that Jesus, this man, to the leper has the power to make him clean, has the power to heal him, has the power to take all of this away. He is literally giving it all up to him and saying, look, I know I'm unclean. I know you have the power to make me clean. And if it be your will, 
please make me clean, right? He, he has humility and acknowledging that this man has the power. It's not, if you can do this, make me clean. It's, if you will, make me clean. He, the slipper fully recognizes that this man has the power to make him clean. It's all a matter of, will he do it? Is like, is it the will of God that he be clean? Right? And, and in that moment, it also denotes a little bit of humility, I think, in saying, you know, there's the option of Jesus saying, no, I will not make you clean. You know, there is that option. And, that, and the leper is humble enough to say that, look, if you don't want to, you know, I know you can still make me clean, even if you don't want to. So much humility, so much faith in that moment, just in that simple sentence of, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, and in coming before and kneeling before Jesus. Like he's broken all the rules and shows so much incredible faith and humility at the same time. In the next verse, it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. So Jesus, noticing that this leper broke all the rules, he could have admonished him and been like, you are not supposed to come to me. You are supposed to ring a little bell and cry unclean. Because you did not listen to the rules, I'm not going to help you. Right? He could have done that. Instead, he looked at the leper with compassion, saw his suffering, but also recognized his faith and humility and said, I will be thou clean. And this story really touched me. Um, Because I was making it an analogy for sinners and sin. So in my Bible, I had the note, a leper can be someone, uh, can be a, a metaphor for a sinner. And leprosy, a metaphor for sin. You know, which is all of us. We are all sinners and we all have sin and we are spiritually dying every day, right? (laughs) Now we don't see the decomposition of our spirits, which is probably a a good thing because that'd be really gross. I don't know. But um, I was making it as a metaphor for sinners and sin and how, you know, we kind of, there are some laws and cultural laws in our society where there's rules we have to follow by and um you know and we kind of aren't supposed to talk about them you know culturally it's not acceptable to talk about everything that we've done wrong people don't like it people kind of want to stay clear of that kind of knowledge you know but um You know, if we go to Jesus and we do the unthinkable and we confess to him everything that we've done wrong and we ask him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
like Jesus will have compassion and love on us and make us clean. And in that moment, when I realized that this could be a metaphor for, um, for us as sinners, I was touched because to me, I felt I was as a missionary, I was super hard on myself, you know, and I, make a lot of mistakes. I mean, like I sinned a lot, you know, I didn't do everything I was supposed to do, or I did things I wasn't supposed to do. And I felt really bad about them. And I'm still working on that. But in that, in those couple verses, it demonstrated to me how much the Savior loves us and has compassion on us when we come to him, and how he's not going to judge us when we open up to him about our sins and everything, he's going to love us, show compassion, and forgive us of our sins, you know? So I got to go now, but it was such a, it was such a moving spiritual experience. I think I even cried just as the spirit taught me that that's how the savior looks at me with compassion and with love and wants to help me and It was very moving in that moment, and I had more compassion for myself because of it. And so that that set of verses will always be extremely special to me. And, you know, and I encourage you to ponder and think about those verses and how they can apply to you um, and how much compassion and love Jesus has for each one of us. And I'm going to have to leave it there because I got to go. I don't want to miss my bus. But I hope that you have a wonderful day. Remember that God loves you and that you are awesome. And I will talk to you tomorrow.